This is the Fantastic Books Podcast. The fantasy and sci-fi book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories. Covering some of the most loved fantasy series as well as brand new novels. With your hosts, Anna and Sam. Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Anna and Sam. And once again, we are joined by Nathan, the author of The Sapien Empire, to talk about chapters 1115, which is the end of part one this week. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, just like always, it's a pleasure to be here, guys. Wonderful. Man, oh man. We have so much to talk about. I feel like every section we get. I'm shocked by like how much the plot has adapted and changed. And I'm like, we still have so much to read, which is great. I'm just impressed and enthralled with how much our world is changing as we continue. So that being said, without getting ahead of ourselves, chapter 11, and we start off with a time jump, no less. Yeah, so it's winter time. Vic is getting ready to host his first meeting as Arch Lord Chief. And he's got this sweet new motorcycle armor, but he's decided to keep uh, Vibrant's helmet to wear as his own. So kind of as an homage, but also symbol symbolic as like inheriting the crown, which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah, I like it. It's the wolf-headed helmet that we saw at the very beginning during the, the ceremony. And then we get another scene with Vic doing the ceremony at the altar. So I like how it's coming full circle for him. Yes. Definitely, and Vic thinks this meeting's going to be easy because he wants to show the other Lord Chiefs what he's made of, which, like, <laughs> that's not quite, like, a, a successful leader wants to do as their first establishing meeting, but okay. I feel like it's good for him to try to establish his authority, but I think compared to the existing Lord Chiefs, you know, we have Len and Norson and Tersona, they're already more accomplished than he is, so it's hard for them to swallow the fact that he's now their leader, even though that was meant to be anyways, but it was, I think, obviously supposed to happen a lot further in the future, like Vibram was supposed to really mentor Vic into this position, and I like the, the sort of, not undermining, but like, upsetness we get with the other Lord Chiefs having to deal with Vic now because they don't see him as someone with the same authority. Yeah, it's definitely a juxtaposition and Vic is definitely overcompensating for the fact that he isn't ready to rule, nor does he typically have a lot of the understanding and critical thinking that a successful leader should have. So instead, he overcompensates with bravado. <laughs> yeah. Is Vic based on any historical characters? I know you said some of your other characters were. No. If anything, he's just sort of based off of um. I think I mentioned this in a couple of previous episodes. Or it may have been a different podcast. I said that if you want to understand your characters, one thing that helps is just to ask, who would this person have been if they were in high school? Or who were they in high school? And so... <laughs> Vic is basically one of those, I guess you could say, bullies, but like, also has got that like threat of insecurity deep down, which is why he is the way he is. And so, I would just say in general, he's just based off of that 
general archetype. Oh, for sure. And it definitely shines through. That's really funny. I've never heard that tactic before. I don't know if it's an actual tactic. I just know it's what works for me. So, Yeah. I like it. We it like it, but the other war chiefs don't. <laughs> yeah, so we see Vic go into... No, definitely not. No, they're not happy with him. And so, you know, these other war chiefs are making eye contact with him. They are not intimidated by him at all. Vic makes a little speech about how Vibran, who was selected by the abstract, lives on through him and how he's not going to let the abstract make him do its dirty work. And like no one responds to this. It falls pretty flat. Yeah, I like the bravado he comes in with. He has this big statement. It's pretty grandiose. And then again, it's just silence, like crickets. And I I think in his head, he thought he was going to come in so cool and powerful and everyone was going to like flap and bow and nothing happens. So it's pretty entertaining because we've seen from our end how Vic has been struggling with this power. And now it's actually facing him that he doesn't have the authority he thought he was going to. And as soon as they do start to talk, it's all questioning. They're questioning his authority. So Archlord Chief Norsen Oh, sorry, not Archlord Chief, just regular Lord Chief Norson asks if he's ready to be the Archlord Chief because he didn't have much time under Vibran. And then Vic, to prove himself, just says he'll fight Norson right now. <laughs> but <laughs> Norson just shakes his head at this. Like, this is not the way to define his authority within his own court. And then Vic insults him and kind of thinks that they're all old. So he's not winning anybody over at this point no and like it's a classic quote but he really does need to learn to choose his battles like don't fight amongst yourselves like he's obviously struggling to assert his dominance as arch lord chief but he clearly does not have the confidence of his warlords and you know supporting staff (laughs) (laughs) no because then the other lord chief lord chief len asks about how the abstract selected Vibran to rule, so then why is Vibran dead? So they're not only questioning Vic, but like the higher power, religious slash spiritual authority that they have in this world. And that's a lot harder for Vic to counter. So Vic just says he's going to have more time to accomplish even more than Vibran, you know, setting himself up to have a really long reign and uses that to push back against them questioning how young he is. But in his internal monologue, he's like trying to find answers. It's just going to get them to shut up and stop questioning him as soon as possible. So he's having a tough time. (laughs) Yeah, I do like this conversation, though, involving the abstract. And if it is his will to like succeed Vibran, where it is a question of faith. You know, if he maybe had a better answer, the other Lord Chiefs may have been more willing to follow him. But it's clear that he hasn't been chosen, that he's not a very good leader. And overall, this meeting is just getting worse and worse. They even ask uh, why the abstract would let the machine right kill Vibran. Like, if he was selected by the abstract, it would be his will to protect him. So things are just starting to fall apart at the seams. And Vic responds saying it's because he doesn't need the machine right anyways. And he tries to spin Shindo's actions as a result of the abstract 
picking Vic to lead instead, which is kind of a weak argument. I think it's a weak argument, but I think it's the way that we see religion and higher powers or higher causes manipulated in politics all the time, especially when it's like a divine right to rule. You have to really spin that as saying like you're a living God or you've been chosen by a deity to have this power. And we can see even in modern day politics, and I don't really want to touch on like too many politics because <laughs> this is a books podcast, but you know, people will claim to do things in the name of a God all the time and it's all contradictory. So Vic is definitely doing that where he's not speaking really with the voice of the abstract at all. That's a great observation, Anna. And it's very like, what's the word I'm looking for? There's so many examples of that seen through history and literature. So I like that. Again, we get this theme here of a kind of like a false leader claiming their divine right to rule. And, you know, they're going to reap the repercussions of their actions soon enough. (laughs) Yeah, he does by the end of this section. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, this whole podcast is spoilers. (laughs) And as Vic is talking about Shindo in the abstract, he accidentally lets slip that this whole situation came about because Shindo actually went rogue and then a girl from the harem escaped with him. So... It's starting to bring up what actually happened the day that Bibran died. And this brings up more questions from the other Lord Chiefs because they're thinking, you know, what did was Vic even doing at this point during this this whole fight? Uh, and then they're asking him a lot about what he was doing to follow up on Shindo. Uh, and this is exactly where we get the full circle back to that earlier conversation that Vic and Vibran had. That was a mentorship conversation where Vibran said, like, you have to find your enemy no matter what. Like, you can't give up hunting them. And here we exactly see Vic says he sent Engine, one of the rest raisers, to follow Shindo. And he's like, oh, well, they, they had a snowstorm. Like, they're definitely dead. But there's no proof. And even Tersona says that doesn't mean anything until they have a body to show that Shindo is they can confirm he has died. And Vic doesn't really seem interested in following up on this. He is very poor foundation with this meeting. You know, he's saying like, I'm here, I'm in charge, doesn't really have any good answers for his people. And all these loose threads, he's like, don't worry about it. So just like, I'm sure they're very frustrated. Vic does end up snapping at Tresona and... You know, he's being so prideful, telling her, don't tell me what I'm supposed to worry about. And she doubles down is like, listen, you're not doing a great job. There are rumors that you were cowardly and scared during Shindo's attack. And again, since he doesn't have a good rebuttal, all Vic can think about is just attacking Tersona for, you know, her boldness of her speaking out of turn like this. So he chal- Vic verbally challenges Tersona instead, and she agrees that she believes Vic tried to help and a natural-born leader you know, would rise to the occasion. So it's just, again, looking worse and worse for Vic. Yeah, she's clearly being very sarcastic towards him, but he's not picking up on that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, yeah, I am a natural-born leader. 
finally thinking he's persuaded Tersona to leave him alone, but she is definitely not a fan of Vic, as we see throughout these chapters, um, and even here with how much she's like pushed back on his authority. And Vic just finishes the whole meeting asking if anyone wants to challenge him, which like nobody does, because I think they can all see he already doesn't have a good hold on his authority anyway. So they're just going to let things play out as they play out. <laughs> and then it's so funny because as the readers, we can see how poorly this whole interaction went. But Vic, in the final line of this chapter, is saying, oh, man, being the Archlord Chief is so intoxicating. Like, he's super into having this power. And now it really makes sense when you said you based him off of like a, a high school bully because I think they're very self-absorbed, especially for the about people the way that people act in high school and Vic is supposed to be pretty young. Do we have an actual age for him? Yeah, he's in his mid twenties. He's like two years older than Shindo at this point. That's right. Yeah. So still pretty young compared to the other Lord Chiefs. And he really is not aware of like the larger implications of his power. He just thinks it's gonna be like fun and cool and <sighs> <laughs> we can see that's not going well at all. And it's not going to last that long for him because he has no good authority at all. And so I was just wondering in terms of, you know, because you said you had so many drafts over the years, like was Vic's reign always going to be this short or did it get changed around in different iterations of the book? Uh, no, it's uh, this is one of the things that's remained consistent across my drafts is he was only going to have this reign for a very short period of time because there is... Um, Something coming up later that I really wanted to kickstart and get into action right away. And so, yeah, this is this has been a constant throughout my entire journey writing this book. Awesome. I think it's cool when there's like small elements that are like the pivot points of your plot. And no matter how many changes it goes through, those are the, the things that remain. And we can see later how much Vic's end to his power really changes things for everybody. Oh, yeah. And as we jump into chapter 12, we finally get to see what's going on with Shindo and Jerem. And unfortunately, they really haven't made too much progress on researching Krez. They're finding a lot of contradictory accounts, and sometimes even Krez is spelled differently. So, you know, they're definitely get Jerem is getting very frustrated. And Shindo keeps getting a little sidetracked with everything going on. So, to be fair, it's a lot to take in for Shindo. You know, we're in the ruins. There's so much knowledge around. You know, you're going to want to sift through it and try to do your best to absorb what you can. Especially being a mechanic or, like, somebody so mechanically inclined, it seems like there's a lot of lost technology that he's really interested in researching. And You can see how, like, fun and exciting it is for him to just go down these side tangents. But I think one of our predictions was that Krez may or may not be real and we still don't have a full answer on that but i like that there's all of this mystery and mythology surrounding what it is or where it is and then on top of that it's changed over time so we had like the krez grez dynamic before but even later we see a different spelling that's like a chr instead of a k so i like that it's you're playing with not only knowledge is lost but the morphing of knowledge and like language and vocabulary over time too. Yeah, definitely is like a clearly like a dark age of knowledge, but the fact that it's become so skewed, it's hard to 
determine which source, if any, are going to be accurate. And I'm still under the mindset that there really is no Krez, that it's uh, kind of been in front of us the whole time, and unfortunately that that hope of it is non-existent. But I also am a little bit of a pessimist with my viewpoint sometimes, so we'll see if I'm proven right or wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I think it could definitely be a place that used to exist, and maybe over time it's morphed into more of like a... Like the stories around it have been built up, but I think there's a possibility that it does exist or at least existed in the four laps. And I meant to look it up to see if there's any cities in or places in the area that this is supposed to be set in that sound like Krez, but that's also, I don't know if you want to give that away at all, because it's a big like spoiler, like mystery that we're trying to parse through as we go through the book. Yeah, I won't be giving away anything right now. <laughs> guys you're just gonna have to read the whole book series in order to find out Heck yeah. oh, oh no. <laughs> perfect the journey continues uh, so it's fun to have little questions and mysteries and follow along with the characters to figure them out i always think that that's a really intriguing part of books and that's one of the things that i love about not only fantasy but mystery have a lot of those elements of confusion and i like being on the same path of not knowing as the character that keeps me really interested well that's a reward for the payoff of like getting those answers and the knowledge yeah especially with series i think that's some of my favorite elements with some like longer developed series is something that's mentioned in like one book and then like maybe two books later you get a revelation on that like concept and people who are paying attention and like had that stewing in the back of their mind and you get that little nugget of truth you're like ah it's like such a nice reward for like i like to call it like due diligence for reading but like yeah just it's a good time so we will eventually find our el dorado we'll figure out what's happening with krez do you think we're gonna figure it out in this book sam or later books well at least from the background that nate has given us as far as this will be a journey i could foresee this being a larger built world and this is a truth that patients will be rewarded for and that you know it might not be this story but maybe the next i can see that yeah because i think already the plot has taken many turns and you know i thought the confrontation of vipper was going to be the end of this book and that was so much further towards the beginning than i was expecting and then it seems like shit portion has just been like along for the ride in these chapters so many changes happened to him so many changes to the world happen and the politics. So it's hard for me to predict when they're going to have time to do certain things. Yeah. Maybe not in this book, maybe in the next book. Back to what they're doing in the library though. There's almost like a, a breaking of the fourth wall here. Cause Jerem picks up a book called the last superpower. And it's a whole book talking about this philosophy of how complacency is the ultimate undoing of any superpower, thinking it's too big to fail. And so she's obviously thinking that that's what happened with Vibran. And then uh, I think from our perspective, too, we could see if Vic was allowed to have a longer reign, that would ex be what happens to him as well. And so she's like, oh, I can't ever let that happen if I'm in power. And then foreshadowing, she gets to be in power a little bit later. Uh, but as she's reading this, Shindo comes up and shows her this book that he found that's burnt. But the pages aren't 100% burnt because they have that special paper. And he's able to sort of parse out that it says 
C-H-R-E-N-C-E, which he's pronouncing as Krenz, and then trying to connect the dots back to Krez or Grez. And the description on this page matches a location in a valley, which is what matches what Jerem's parents had told her. So this is the first time they're getting a description that matches what Jerem knows, I believe. Yeah. And I thought she was going to be super excited, but she's not impressed. She's actually pretty grumpy with Shindo because they're making such little progress and she's not seeing how the differentiations in spelling are actually helping them. I think she's getting more frustrated that maybe they missed information or we're looking for words that that are going to be spelled differently. Yeah. But Shindo has like a good response because he has had such a tough life, obviously. And I think Jerem has too. But he says that when he first worked for Vibran, he would only get to see, he was told he would only get to see his family after a couple of months and then years went by and now it's 10 years. But he never once lost hope that he would see them again because he just has to hold on to that hope. And he uses that idea to motivate Jerem to keep searching. Yeah. So in response, Jerem shows Shindo one more secret in the library. And this is pretty cool. They go up to this room that's suspended from the ceiling. And she warns Shindo that it can be dangerous. And she shows him a device that is called the crown. And it can help loosen the mind. And the way this is described is so unique. Uh, I'm just going to read the description off, but... It was a pair of translucent tubes wrapped together, both ends melding into a pointed tip and angled up slightly as one. They rounded into a particularly open circle, and inside the device, Shindo couldn't tell if they were on the surface or within the tubes. He saw wispy, tenuous patterns floating and morphing. So, immediately, I got... um cerebro vibes from like x-men like it was just this larger than life like helmet apparatus that is going to be doing something extraordinary and uh i guess my question for you nate is is this based on a real device or was this just an awesome burst of creative inspiration the, the way i describe it it's loosely based off of like if you've ever seen a roman emperor with like the crown on their head but it kind of looks like leaf like leaf patterns and then they flange up like at his temples it's based yeah. on that because as i said in previous some um, episodes that like i do have this sort of like bigger larger than life grandiose historical epic sort of vibe to this trilogy that i'm making and then i wanted it to obviously be science fiction and so i said like it's got to have these electrical computer elements to it and so i added that and i said well what's, what's something that really just looks like out of this world and really just mysterious and foreign and really just kind of fucks with your head on the like how does this thing work or what's going on here well it definitely has captured that kind of reaction and as we go through the chapters how this begins to unravel our characters. I don't want to give too much away with this because I like seeing its influence, especially on Shindo. So that's all I'm going to say at the moment in regards to this apparatus. But yeah, I I find it intriguing and dangerous. (laughs) I mean, even Jerem in the moment says it's dangerous. She says it can cause seizures or be harmful to you. So 
this was why she left it for so long as an option because she didn't want to have to resort to this. But they've been down there for, I think, a few months now, a couple of months at least, because we're out into winter from fall. And I think this is the point where she has to make some hard decisions. So she decides to use it herself. She's not letting Shindo use it yet. And it starts to help them, definitely. Like, they're starting to make a little bit of progress here and there. But then she has this sort of bad reaction to wearing the crown one day and gets pretty irritable and decides that they need to leave the arc. So her line of thought here, and I actually think it's a good idea. I think just maybe they could have spent a little bit more time doing some research, but I also understand you don't want to be stuck down there forever. She decides that in order to help them in their quest to find Krez and move faster, they need the power of the domain behind them. So she makes a plot that she's going to challenge Vic for the position of Archlord Chief herself, which I think is actually a really good idea. I think she's a worthy leader. Obviously, she was powerful enough to fight Vibran, but it's a big task for them to do. And, you know, it's not like she'll be able to be in charge and then just devote the entire domain to fighting. Like there's other things she's going to have to do politically. So I'm interested to see how that goes, but that's the new plan for them. So she shows Shindo a secret back entrance as a way to maybe escape and get back to the domain to challenge Vic, but it's completely blocked. A rock cave in happened and the door is broken. They even try going to the shed to get, um, I think it's like pry bars or crowbars to move the rocks. But even once they get to the door, the latches are all broken. The same kind of situation that happened at the library, but these ones are broken on the inside of the door. So unless Shindo can like saw open and get to the internal workings of the door, this this exit is off limits. Yeah, it's completely sealed. So Jeremy says they need to come up with a plan B. Yes. And so for days are stumped and finally... Shindo insists on using the crown himself. And although Jerem is hesitant, Shindo says he'll use it sparingly. So here we go is our our first use of the crown for Shindo. (laughs) And man, he just gets such a burst of inspiration from the crown. And he explores the town just, you know, analyzing and looking at things. And unfortunately... One afternoon, Shindo experiences a seizure while wearing the crown, but it gives him enough uh, inspiration to build a device called the Shadow. And I love this thing. It is so cool. We see that it's inspired based off of a a hot air balloon, but just so much more metal. It is just awesome. (laughs) (laughs) When, When you were coming up with the concept for the Shadow, was there... Like a eureka moment or anything that really helped bring this thought to the forefront for you, Nate? I don't know if there was really a eureka a, a eureka moment. I was just um, it was me trying to figure out like a lot of this was how does this transition of power work or what's a good way of it happening? What what makes sense? How do they get out of here? And so I thought of um, oftentimes when you want to consolidate or like secure power there are some psychological tactics you can use and so I thought to myself what's like a good psychological tactic to use here and so i had this idea of if they're gonna get out with a hot air balloon and they're gonna and this is another part that also went through several iterations but um 
I had this idea of Shindo wants to get a certain degree of revenge on those that have wronged him. So what's a way that he can do it? And so I came up with this idea of having a hot air balloon that's sort of shaped like a really gnarly skull where like the, the cloth of the balloon doesn't just occupy the actual air space. It actually kind of hangs down a bit under the basket so that you get this continuous shape of this just really ghastly, hollow, twisted sort of black skull. And I had the idea of having the little sort of like holes, so to speak, in um, airspace so that whenever you fire the burner, you can kind of see this flame in the eyes itself. And so like, again, if you don't know what's going on, if you've never seen one of those things, it's like, and you genuinely have this idea that this is the shrine of the abstract. When that comes out, it's like, holy shit, this is, um, this thing's this thing's not messing around. Yeah, God's mad. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was awesome. I love how this idea that Shino has times perfectly with what's going to happen, like right at the end of this chapter, because as they're finally getting ready to leave and like make their great escape, because they've been in this archive and isolated for so long, a body falls down in and they realize it's the spring festival. So it's been exactly one year since the beginning of the book, I believe. And so not only are they planning to go fight Vic, but like everybody is arranged around the opening to this cavern right now. And they're preparing to fly right into this ceremony. It's going to be timing wise. I'm sure that, that like Jerem and Shindo were really nervous about this, but it works so well for this scare tactic and this very grandiose and cinematic moment. And as they're flying up, Jerem asks Shindo to be her underlord chief if she defeats Vic. And he's very reluctant at first. You know, he's not really interested in politics, I think, or being in power. His main motivation, from my understanding at this point, is to just go home. Like, he doesn't want to be in the domain or that, like, central Wolves Den area anymore. He wants to go home and he wants to eventually be able to make the world a better place for other people. And this is where Jerem kind of flips that idea of him wanting to be helpful to her advantage because she's like, well, Shindo, you know, you're the kind of person that has no desire for power or wealth. You just want to solve problems where others won't bother to solve the problems and you always have good intentions. So she makes this argument that he's going to be really good candidate for underlord chief and just as they're coming up out of the cavern he agrees and it shifts to chapter 13 one thing i do want to just uh touch a note on which i thought was well written and a great concept was the fact that jerem asking shindo to be under lord chief for him it gives him honestly a better opportunity to help those around him as long as it doesn't conflict with her rule as far as what her grand plans are and on a larger scale maybe he will be able to make more of a positive impact so we'll have to wait and see what you know transpires but i really feel like this could be a good opportunity for shindo to make a larger scale positive change rather than if he was just one person trying to change the world so no that's a good point obviously that makes sense i just hadn't even thought about it yet because we don't get to see him using his power too much yet but I think like you said he's 
going to have all the authority now. He'll be able to manufacture, you know, like things like the prosthetics project won't be questioned under this new rule. He'll be able to help people and go around and do all the stuff that he told Nedru and Emjin that he wanted to do. So the opportunities are there. We'll just see how he gets to use them. Yeah, for sure. And as we enter chapter 13, we do get a perspective change. We're hanging out with Tersona and getting her viewpoint. She's thinking about how Vibran did so well at last year's celebration. It's, again, big shoes to fill for Vic. And how is he going to top that? As Vic's making his speech, she thinks about how much anger she had after the Cade incident and how it lost its independence and just everything to do with Justin. She thinks about how she'll have to put it aside if Vic is going to be anything like Vibran. It's a very intense and complicated series of emotions for her. And she's in a tough position where she has to follow this guy's lead, even though she thinks he's incompetent. <laughs> yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of swallowing swallowing of pride moving down the line. And Oh, for sure. This whole time that Tristona's thinking about this, we've got the simultaneous action of Vic making his speech. His speech isn't bad. You know, he's talking about how spring is a time for renewal and even though the wolves den was destroyed and Vibran was killed this past year they're all still standing and it's a chance for rebuilding and new opportunities so i think he made kind of the exact right type of speech for his audience and for his moment so he actually didn't do a bad job here considering he doesn't have a lot of experience yet but dun 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 the shadows start to come up behind <laughs> him and so you've got this huge black massive skull and it's like super dominating and commandeers everybody's attention obviously you can't not notice this thing the perfect irony where like vic's kind of doing his speech and going on and like as this like skull rises everyone's panicking and freaking out and like because his back's to it he doesn't see it and so it's such an omen of like ill fate and terror and People are interpreting this as the abstract being displeased with him. And so like just visually, it's such a stunning scene. I really, I really enjoyed it. Especially because Shino has flamethrowers that he's using to heat the balloon and the flames like spurt out of the skull's eyes. So it just, you know, it's pretty gnarly. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. And then... I was just to say, I almost liked this moment where the imagery is flipped. So you have Vic talking about like springtime and renewal, which I think is very hopeful. And, you know, people associate spring with like flowers and sunshine. And then you have Shindo coming up with like a flaming skull, which is totally something that would be more in Vibran and like the Wolves Den, like aesthetic so i just like how the two almost use each other's tactics against each other in this moment in terms of imagery and visualization oh for sure and man at this point everyone starts fleeing uh vic and trisona included trisona turns back and swears that she sees shindo inside the skull for a moment and you know vic panics he thinks the shadow is an omen from the abstract since it was his first time giving a speech at the altar. And so there's just so much chaos and confusion among the uh, Wolves Den inhabitants. 
So immediately after this incident, all the Lord Chiefs ask to see Vic and they meet back in the Ascendancy Chamber. So that was where they were in the two chapters ago when Vic was struggling with his authority. So again, we get another moment of <laughs> it's almost like a repeat conversation for him where he's really struggling with this. And he's trying to convince him that the shadow was the abstract and it was like a blessing, but Tersona's completely disagreeing, saying the shadow is the abstract, but it's getting revenge on them. Or even if it's not the abstract, like she's saying Shindo was going to come back or something was going to come back to bite us. So they all start to question not only Vic's authority, but sort of their own authority later in the conversation. Like at one point, Lord Norson thinks that the abstract is punishing them for all the bad things that they've ever done under Vibran, you know, saying like we shouldn't have raped and pillaged and murdered. And then, you know, Lord Chief Land is like, well, I didn't agree with some of those things that Vibran did, like killing people who were crippled. So maybe like, maybe it won't be as bad for me. Like they're all starting to get a little confused about what's going on and what kind of punishment is coming for them. Oh yeah, I feel like their confidence in each other and them individually are all wavering, and they're really their their faith is being tested by this. And so, yeah, it's it's not long now. Things are really starting to kind of get frayed and start the strands are starting to fall apart here. Yeah, Vic's trying to convince them that it's the best thing because like the abstract actually like came to him; it never came to Vibran. But I think they're not buying it at this point. So they want to, Vic wants them all to go back to the shrine to see what happens the next day. But Tersona ends this whole situation by saying that Vic's responses to all their questions make him sound like someone who doesn't have the right of the abstract and he knows it. So she's definitely calling him out. She has since the beginning, but she's getting bolder and bolder as the book's going on. And I actually really like her character. I know she is as ruthless as the rest of them, but she is bold enough to not just agree to everything that's going on and speak her mind. And I like her. I'm excited to see more of her as this as the book progresses. Yeah, she definitely critically thinks and assesses situations. And she's a very well-developed character. So interested to see how things are going to play out with her. That being said, the argument is interrupted by a lieutenant announcing that the machine right has arrived and is asking to see Vic. So, man, how the tables have turned where Shindo was so non-confrontational and afraid to now make his grand entrance and be like, all right, Vic, come out and play. We're ready for you. Like, it's just it's bold. I love it. I think it's half the fact that Shindo's getting more confident and he's got Jeremy on his side. He's seen what they can accomplish. But I also think the other half is still a little bat bit of that feeling he had with the mech suit of like, I've got nothing to lose. Like They've already taken so much from me. May as well just see what I have to do. Yeah, for sure. I do like this moment of Vic again trying to like use the classic like art of war tactics and summon them to him be like i'm not going to you guys you can come to me and they're like nope we're gonna meet in public and just tersona says that 
you know, he should meet them in public to finally show everyone he's the real deal. So she's kind of forcing his hand to call their bluff. Did you do the thought activity where you thought about who Tersona was in high school? Because I think she's a very interesting and dynamic character. I don't do it with every character, but um, Tersona's gone through uh, a bunch of iterations. And so I, she's supposed to be the element of you want to, you know, you have this vision of this better world you want, but then you kind of have these elements that you sometimes have to parley with that really don't share in your same vision, don't really care for your same vision. There's some harsh realities sometimes leaders have to face of like, these are the rules of power and maintaining it and keeping people happy. And so I I didn't, I didn't, specifically think who it should be in high school but now that you got me thinking about it i would say if she was anybody in high school should be someone who probably came from a bit of a poor background maybe her parents had gotten divorced really taught that you gotta fight for everything yourself but at the same time doesn't take any shit doesn't take any of it in school maybe there's the mean pretty girls that give her problems but uh doesn't affect her and she just takes it on the chin and um keeps going so uh yeah now that um if i were to think about it i would say that's definitely who tersona would be if she was in high school yeah that makes sense very cool i could totally see her being like a really intense sports player in high school like really onto all the sports teams because she's just you know really aggressive in that kind of way but motivational a little bit too and i prediction is that Obviously, she's undermining Vic here, but I think she's going to sort of undermine Shindo and Jerem as well in part two. Maybe not as actively, but I think her her visions and her desires are not going to align with theirs at all. And I think because of that, they're going to run into a lot of friction with her. But I think it'll be less antagonistic than what's happening here between Tristona and Vic. But we'll find out. Yeah. I think what I enjoy about her one last little piece is she reminds me of a lot of people I know in my life. In my career as a manager, I have certain staff members that constantly question and challenge things. Not like me personally, but the way our organization sometimes does things. And I actually really appreciate when people do that because if we can all take a step back and reevaluate different perspectives and stuff, it can ultimately lead to a better outcome. So. I know this is a, you know, dystopian cataclysmic world where sometimes it's ruled of right by might, but um I think it's good to have someone like Trisona in the repertoire. It can uh lead to better understanding and maybe uh better decisions made as a group. So we'll have to wait and see. After Trisona goads Vic into meeting them in public, he rides out on his most intimidating vehicle, which is called a wolf runner. So he's trying to use scare tactics against them. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know, like you just feel it. It's just so good. <laughs> uh, and then I think that's one thing I'm sorry not to cut you off, but like what I'm really enjoying about this book is uh, there's so many cool inventions and machines and it just creates such a personality to the the setting in the world yeah like the gear is awesome like it really 
is used as almost like its own character. Like it's got so many elements that play into the story and like symbolize different things. I like how much we're seeing of that and it really personalizes the whole world. So I'm, I'm into it. So yeah, Vic rides out there. He's trying to be like the big man here, rides out on the wolf runner and <laughs> says that Shindo should be dead, but Shindo's like, the abstract let me live. What are you going to do about that? <laughs> <laughs> And then points to the crown on his head as proof of the abstract's favor. So I think Vic's definitely surprised by this. At this point, he tries to get them arrested, but Trisona asks Shindo how Vibrin died. And they're starting to get the full story here because Vic had been hiding the truth a little bit, I would say. And so she says, all right, well, if you know Shindo killed Fibrin, then he's got a pretty good title to the claim of Art Sword Chief instead of Vic. But then Jerem speaks up and says that she killed Vibrin. So then there is a whole plan for this fight for the title of Arch Lord Chief right now. And so Tersona is going to be like the orchestrator of this battle. But as we can see, Vic's authority is being challenged already. Yeah, so it is, things are getting heavy. Sam, you had a question about the crown as we were like reading this. Yeah, I want to save it till we get to a little bit further in the section because there's a little bit more evidence of that influence. So I'm going to hold off on that question for now. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah, so I guess we can jump right into chapter 14, which is like combat time. And they're only each given a wooden staff. So I like that they're stripped of all their weapons and armor i guess and it's just like one-on-one no rules to the combat fight so it's genuinely just the most skilled and they're actually pretty evenly matched yeah it's very primal because um vic is less experienced than vibran was but he's younger so he's actually a little bit worried that jerem's gonna have a tough time she did have a tough time in her fight against vibran too yeah what i was gonna say was I do like this kind of neat parameter of like just the staff and your skills. You know, someone could argue like, oh, they have armor or a better weapon. Like when you remove all those elements, it's truly just like who will prevail. And it's just such a intense scenario at this point. You know, we do get to see some really well-described combat of, you know, Jerem doing her acrobatics and Vic attacking. They're pretty evenly matched, but as a character flaw for Vic, he gets more erratic the angrier he becomes. So it's very, you know what it made me think of? Kind of like Sith versus Jedi fighting styles where Jerem is kind of on like a Jedi mindset of like staying calm and focused. And Vic is like feeding into his anger and hate and it's just like offsetting him. So that's my little like nerd two cents in there. (laughs) (laughs) it's true though because he gets so upset and angry he's like not focused as well jerem just keeps her cool the whole time and well maybe until here because vic throws dirt in jerem's face and then starts to choke her which is plain dirty and i know that there were no rules to this combat but like that's a low blow fight with honor In order to escape this, Jerem like grabs him by the balls and then punches him in the throat. So it's getting to be a pretty nasty fight. 
I would say Jerem had her cool until that moment because she was about to yep. get choked to death. But then she flips the script and gets Vic in a chokehold and he taps the ground, eventually in a sign of defeat. Ugh, and he's such a little coward. I thought they were going to fight to the death and he taps out too soon. So Persona calls the match after he makes this sign of defeat and Vic stumbles off into the crowd and Shinda goes to help Jerem. But instead of accepting that he lost, Vic comes running back at them with a sword, which I presume he got from somebody in the crowd. And he starts to run at Jerem. But then he stops and falls all of a sudden. So he was definitely gonna cheat here. And this is where I started to really like Persona a lot. Because she actually threw a knife into Vic's back. And says he tried to kill the leader of the domain. Referring to Jerem. So she's twisting the rules a little bit to her own favor. But she got rid of Vic. Who she definitely hated. And... I am a fan of that. (laughs) Yeah. And she's also playing the game. She knows what's up by showing like allegiance. You know, they are going to trust her more openly now. She knows what's going on. And there's a roar of applause. The crowd is chanting, chanting Jerem's name. And, you know, we kind of have this like freeze frame moment before we get a time jump. Into the year zero CR, civilization restarted. I thought that was awesome. I loved the action. I know that we talked about your action scene last time, but one thing I found really interesting was that your fighting scenes don't feel repetitive, even though it's often involving kind of the same characters or same fighting styles. Do you have tactics for that? Or do you enjoy writing action scenes? I would say I have tactics for it it's just kind of how it flows in my head and i do mention that she has a very acrobatic style of fighting but i also make sure that actions kind of they're smooth they flow into each other and you also have to make sure the sentences are very short they can't be too drawn out it's just the way i see it i mean i could have spent hours studying martial arts but i find that even if i had done that there's just kind of what would have come to my head and what i would have wanted things to flow as and I would have just done that anyway and so I just said okay how do we coordinate these moves so it's like she makes a move he either takes it or blocks it how does he block it how does she counter block how does how does he do something that you think is going to hit her but then how does she avoid it how does she avoid it in a very unique way that's kind of like oh that's that's like last minute this is what she pulled or she like maneuvered her body in such a way that this is how she countered it and just to reveal the amount of skill they both have and then uh i I also knew that i wanted this fight scene to go from like sort of a sophisticated we're playing by like these are the moves and counter moves you do to just devolving into this just sort of raw brutal expression of just hatred and frenzy and just just pure just very primal instincts just giving into those and so yes that is how i um made this do i like it well i mean i i like writing the story overall so uh i would i would say i like writing these more than just scenes where people are just maybe just one-on-one talking about what's happened or what's going to happen i mean overall i like writing i like writing everything I like entertaining you guys. Well, we are definitely entertained. 
It's working. (laughs) Definitely working. Yeah, I like the fight scenes a lot. I think I've read other books where the fight scenes can be almost like a list of actions and it doesn't feel dynamic at all. But I really like how you weave your personalities into the fighting styles. Like the way that we saw Vic getting more upset and angry, whereas Jeremy was able to keep her cool. And then, like you just said, that devolvement in the word devolving of the fight from sort of sophisticated and like organized, I suppose, into almost like a, a raw like street fight, you know, anything goes. And I think that that's a good metaphor for the domain. You know, it is a kill or be killed kind of world. And so they had to have this like really rough fight in order to wrest control from Vic for themselves. And they got it. So this book has taken so many turns. I was not expecting this to happen so quickly or to even happen at all. I feel like when we read that section and like when Vic was running forward with the sword, I was like, oh, no. And then, you know, (laughs) he gets a knife in the back for Trisona. I literally was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, I was just so relieved. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, if this guy stays in power, like, oh, no. So there's such a crazy amount of change happening and we're only just getting into the thick of it. And I'm so cautiously optimistic to see what happens with Jerem being uh, in charge. But, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So I'm hoping she doesn't fall to the hubris of it all. Ooh. I think a lot of it's going to be more navigating her desires to use the domain to find Prez and then like the needs of, well, they're not calling it the domain anymore, but like the needs of the people and then political influence from other Lord chiefs and everything. So, uh, cause we, as we see in this new scene, they're all still in play. So Jerem is meeting with the Lord chiefs in the ascendancy chamber. She now goes by commander chief instead of Lord chief, because that was the title that was used by the head of the archive. So she's kind of bringing back her, her roots as someone who grew up there. And Shindo is really helping her in this scene with a display of power. He's built almost this like cage uh, around the room. It's described as what looks like a steel bird cage. And on top of the cage is a thick metallic pole that ended in a large reflective sphere. And this scene absolutely so near where we live there's a science museum and they've got a lightning cage and they do like displays where people can go inside the cage and like big bolts of lightning come down and hit them but they're safe because of the way the conductivity runs so i love that you pulled this imagery in and use it as a scare tactic because it is a type of world where they wouldn't understand the science behind what's going on but shindo does so during this whole conversation that she has with the Lord Chiefs, Shindo's behind the scenes sort of pulling the strings and making like arcs of light shoot out. And there's like a circuitry going on, a sort of like crackling electricity, bolts of electricity. So it's paralleling what's going on with Jerem's speech and her announcement. of And she has a very different tactic from Vic, who said, don't ever challenge me. I'm the winner. I was chosen by the abstract. That's the end all be all where Jerem says she wants him to challenge her to make sure that the abstract has her favor. So she's definitely manipulating them 
with her words because I think they're kind of taken aback by this tactic. And then, you know, they've got electricity shooting around them, mimicking the power that Jerem has from the abstract. Yeah, and she then threatens that, you know, if they start having visions of wanting power, the abstract has fooled them and... You know, she starts sending electricity bolts very close to them in a threatening way. So she says she will step down if she ever loses the abstract's favor. So she really has taken the opportunity to solidify her position and instill fear within her organization now. And again, circling back to that theme of, uh, you know, being selected, that divine right to rule. So she's playing the game well. As uh, the sphere cools down and the electricity stops, she asks if they all have an agreement, which, you know, they're all like, like <laughs> scared and agreeable. The sheeps have been cowed or towed or, you know, they're in line. She did a good job picking Shindo as her second because there would have been no way she could have done this without anyone else. Yeah. And even after the meeting, speaking of which, we see Shindo replacing these hidden floor tiles that conducted the electricity of the machine. And I love this parallel idea of Jerem thinking how Shindo's not only operating a mechanical machine now, but the political machine and how she's going to have to guide him in the way that he guides her with the use of the mechanical machine. So I think they're a really good dynamic duo. I like their intersection of skills. I think that they're going to be challenged by the power that they now have. And I want to see how that plays out for their friendship and for the future of, I don't know what they're calling it now, the domain, but like their, their world. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting. But we get to chapter 15, which is the end of part one. And finally, Shino gets to go home, but it's not all he expects it to be. Heartbreaking. Shindo makes his way home in the Wolf Runner and he's got a security convoy with him. And he's still wearing the crown, and he's been wearing it more and more lately. So, you know, this is a little bit of a sign here that Shindo's going through his own changes. As he approaches, he thinks a lot on his childhood memories. He feels happiness for the first time in a long while. And as he gets to the compounds with his two guards escorting him, he realized not much has changed. Everything's pretty minimal and everything here is to serve a purpose. And as they arrive, you know, people are poking their heads out to see, you know, who's arrived in town. They're a little confused and the news travels slowly, but Shindo tries to stand tall and explain that he is now under for, you know, Commander Chief Jerem. And they're asking about the crown he wears, but Shindo is more focused on finding his mom. Do you want to ask your question about the crown now, Sam? I do at the end of our section of notes here, because there's a, a couple more thematic things that are tucked in that'll help me with my my question and my prediction, I should say. So we're almost okay. there. <laughs> So Shindo asks Holm, the compound leader, where his mom's at, and he tells him that he's sorry. Unfortunately, he leads Shindo to the graveyard and explains that, you know, his mom got sick very fast from an illness and she's no longer with us. And Colm says that his mom 
held on for a long time, driven by the hope that Shindo would come to see her one last time. And so, like, that's just so gut-wrenching. Like, this whole saga for Shindo, 10 years in servitude, holding on to the hope that he would see his family again, especially after his father passing, being like, okay, like, I'm almost here, I'm ready, I can see my mom. And unfortunately, it was, like, too late for her and, like, to get that like salt in the wound of being like she died waiting for you. It's just, oh, it's really, really just devastating for him. It reminded me a little bit of the Odyssey. Like it takes Odysseus 10 years to get home, but his family is at least waiting for him. Like he's not, his home is all in disarray when he arrives there, but poor Shindo gets home and they've both passed away before he could get to see them. So he doesn't even get like the homecoming or the feeling of, connection to his family that one last time yeah and i was really upset for him it was just like one of those things where like we've been through half the book now and i feel like every time we see shindo it's like and another thing and another thing and another thing and things are always so tough for him and he never gets to be fully in control of his life until now and it's just like that one last kick in the teeth of you waited a little bit too long and it sucks because he couldn't even get to see them earlier like kylan tried to guilt him into going home but there was genuinely no escape until now right so i think he's going to carry a lot of guilt for this even though colm is saying like don't blame yourself and this is an interesting dynamic moment because colm says like shindo don't blame yourself and shindo immediately cracks him he's like it's under lord chief shindo so he's getting a little cold i think Maybe it was just like a defense tactic in the moment, but it was an interesting and surprising moment for him. And it it was not the reaction I thought he was going to have to somebody. He does still obviously have a lot of emotion because he asks Colm to leave and he ends up like crying and all his tears and his sadness of the past 10 years, like finally get released. And he thinks about how he never wants anyone in the domain to suffer like he has. But I'm a little bit worried that he's going to have to sacrifice some of himself in order to make that change for everybody else and to improve the world. Yeah. And so one of the few questions I had here was, did you always plan for Shindo to be kind of robbed of that reunion with his parents? No. So this (gasps) um, in earlier revisions, his parents uh passed away a little earlier i had to change that up for uh some reasons that made sense i think maybe i did know that by the time part one ended they would have been dead so um how exactly they died did change but i came up with the sort of like melancholy scene right here which was inspired by uh, i won't say inspired it was just like i always think about like well what if my parents had passed away right now how would i feel and so i try to take that sadness and put it into my characters because i think as they say if there's no sadness for the writer no sadness for the reader that's a great saying and you know the depth in the uh, morning really shine through here one thing that i guess is not so much a question but from my own like as i'm reading and discovering more i get the sinking feeling that this crown figuratively and literally is corrupting Shindo and that you know now that he has no more ties to his old life all his family and friends are are gone 
he's just going to get more and more corrupted as he wears this crown and you know being arch lord chief like things are really going to change for him and i think we're going to start to see a big change in his personality and his choices of who he was from the beginning of the book like i think this is really going to be a very large catalyst moment for him are you asking me if that's going to happen or no i guess i'm just talking out loud i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i think i was more interested to see if the crown was physically corrupting him or changing him because we know it has dangers that jerem said or if it's going to be more like he has to make harder decisions and become a little bit less naive from the beginning of book to the end of the book. And again, that's not really a question. It's more of just like commentary on Shindo's growth and his depth as a character, but I'm interested to see how he's changing. Cause he's already definitely changing from the beginning to the end or I guess to the middle. Yeah. Or the middle right I'm not nervous for him, but I know he's going to have to go through some more change and some more hardship. It's just going to be a different variety than he's already seen. I don't know. I'm a little worried for him. I I have a sinking feeling he's going to lose himself. No! From, not, not, not necessarily from this, of his parents dying, but, like, him being more involved in, like, the political machinations, him wearing that crown too much is going to, like, alter his mindset. Like, I just, I have this sinking feeling, like, it's going to be like the tragedy of a hero kind of thing. And I hope not. I would love to be proven wrong, but that's, that's my prediction for his uh, trajectory at the moment. Ugh, no, I want him to stay good. <laughs> I want him to stay a good character <laughs> because what you're saying is realistic, but also he's been pretty immune to 10 years of Vibrin. So I think he's got a stronger backbone than maybe we're thinking yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> we'll find out in part two. So yeah, those are some of my. Pre- I'm more worried about Jerem. I think I think she's going to use her power and become really hyper fixated on finding Krez, and I think Shin is going to have to temper that and get her to focus on making changes for the people and like quote unquote bringing Krez to them in a metaphorical way. Yeah, I could see that definitely being a plot point that will impact our characters coming up. So, those are my predictions. We can laugh about them later if they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's the end of where we, we stopped because uh, it was the end of part one of the book, so it just seemed like a great place to end these chapters. And I'm intrigued what's going to happen in chapter 16 and part two because I don't know if we're gonna get a time lapse or a time jump I genuinely have not even like turned the page so anything could happen in part two Mm -hmm. well that leaves us off at the end of this episode thank you for joining us Nathan and thank you listeners for joining us for this epic adventure of the sapien empire chapter 11 through 15 keep on the lookout as we unveil part two next week and until next time listeners Happy reading. Thanks, listeners. If you're looking for more, check us out at fantasticbookspod.com, where we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, and you can even send us a message. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at fantasticbookspod. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks. Thanks.
Golden Rise Media.